Culture and Psychology with Tabana. A very warm hello to our Radio Bomb Dot listeners. Uh, today I'm sitting with Dr. Daniel Rockers and Dr. Alexandrade, two of my colleagues from Tabana Organization, a nonprofit organization supporting every individual in cultural and psychological issues. And today we are sitting here to talk about our role in a group. In every group, naturally, there's a role within us that shows up in a group, or sometimes based on the dynamic of a group, all of a sudden we take a role. So today we're gonna talk about uh, teamwork, um, partnership, or roles in a group. And we start with Dr. Rockers. Oh, we do? We do. I guess, I guess we do. So the question is, as Alex brought up earlier before the show started, how do we recognize our role in the group? And what side A said is when we enter a group, we take on a typical role for ourselves. This is a fundamental tenet of group therapy. Do you want to see how you act or who you are? Get into group therapy and then you begin to see what role you're playing in your life we and a lot of times this gets this is the same role that we played as we were growing up in our family our family of origin i have run a number of group therapy sessions i have been in group therapy sessions i do believe those ideas are absolutely correct what are your thoughts alex side uh i have run two groups um very difficult groups, uh, sex offenders and anger management, each for entire year. And talking about that, I can even picture the faces of people that were in these groups and how they were behaving. And uh, it is so interesting that each person in each group, imagine there's a 12 people in um anger management, more than 12, actually, anger management. But we started with 12, 13 in sex offenders. And it, it was an amazing dynamic. And I learned so much. So talking about that, my experience was very special experience that even though it was very difficult, but it all, I always appreciated because I learned so much um, in interacting in that group, those groups. Something I want to say too, it, it may relate to, I might be a little off topic. I feel like when, as soon as we start talking about groups or interacting with other people, I think people are very limited, narrow of their understanding. I, I realize that sounds negative. Sorry. <laughs> people aren't You're quite, people. yeah, people aren't quite understanding of the idea of introvert and extrovert. I feel like as soon as we start talking about interactions with other people or groups, people are like, well, I'm an introvert, so I don't like talking to people. It's like, no, that's not what an introvert means necessarily. And so, you know, do you have a preference for it? It doesn't mean you never want to talk to anybody. And so I, I think it's, starting with this idea that an introvert is somebody who gets kind of more charged by maybe being by themselves versus kind of being around others or groups. It doesn't mean that there can't be a, a particular person like their partner or their mate who they are comfortable with, and it doesn't cost them something to be around them, where extroverts are more kind of charged through social interactions. And it's, it's not, again, I'm caught up on this whole dichotomy thing. Sorry. It's not one or the other. We, we exist on a range. And so I, I think it's just important to, to throw that out there in talking about teamwork and groups, because people are going to be like, well, I'm an introvert. So this is how it is. You know, it's not set in stone. It's a preference that we have along those lines. I do want to say too, I've, I've run groups. I've been part of groups. Um, I, I think it's so fascinating how, we tend to have no idea sometimes what those dynamics are until we're just interacting. And the other thing I was thinking too, as, as you both were starting to talk about this topic is what are our dynamics? You know, what is the role within our group of three? And so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's kind of interesting. And I, I think 
you know, listeners who've been listening can probably argue who's in control, <laughs> who's whipping people into shape. The clowns of the, uh, the group, I, I want to say, Dan, you're a little bit ahead of me in that, that regards, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, and I, I don't know what my role is, maybe the scapegoat. No, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I think Alex, we all. Alex, my question for you is this, is it okay for me? <laughs> Me to say to my girlfriend, you know, it really costs me to spend time with you. Oh, yeah. I need yeah. my own recharge time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could tell her that, but then you'll be calling me and be like, hey, I'm single now. I don't know what yeah, happened. You I know? Think you're right. <laughs> She's like, have all the time you want. So recharge yeah, over time? there. Okay. Good yeah. for you. <laughs> Talking about role in the group, Dan always asks questions. So I'm just thinking probably, as you mentioned, you've been always questioning things, right? Yeah. yeah. Is that me? You mean you're, yes. I have always asked questions or maybe a better way is I think I try to think of alternative views and I can remember all the way back into elementary school when a teacher would be teaching thing and I would come up with some alternative view that wouldn't fit with what they were saying and present it as a humorous thing. Yeah. And I'll be argumentative, Daniel. That's what I, <laughs> I look. I try to couch it in a way it's favorable for me. Okay? There you go. There you go. All right. So, so when when we show up as who we are in a group, I just want to resolve this for myself personally because when I'm in the group, I'm always quiet, listening to everybody. You know, well, you know, between three of us, because I know you guys for a long time and it's different, but let's say I walk into a group and this is a new group. I may know one or two people in the group, but generally speaking, I don't know many people. I always am quiet, even though I'm talkative, even though I'm social, even though I'm extrovert, but I listen carefully to what's going on. And I don't jump in first because I want to know the dynamic. I want to know if whatever, um, you know, I show up as it's helpful, it's uh, influential. Is I don't just take part as just taking part. So is this who I am? Do you do that too, Dan? Which part? The observing yeah, I do. I absolutely do. I was and the thing I do too. And I, I wonder if that's be all because too, that's kind of something we do in our job where I mean, we are very observant, and we have to pick up on dynamics. That's that's something that it's funny. When you say that, I, I do the same exact thing. Dan, you were saying, I, how do you do that? Well, what I realize about myself is that and it's becoming clearer in the past few years, is that I listen to see what's going on and then I can work off of what is being presented. Mm -hmm. And I do better with that than just starting out and, and blowing out some new thing. And I'm not sure exactly what that comes from. If it's, mm -hmm. if it's some fear of my idea being rejected, or if it's more of an intuitive thing where I can absorb what they're saying and then rework with that i don't know what that is but i do That's know what you're I, saying dan i'm the same way i i just feel like you don't want to be rejected maybe you just want to be very careful that uh the, the way you're showing up is um by you know you know you just don't say to to just say it you just want to say when it's really meaningful and it's with wisdom and it's taken well, right? I'm the same way. I just feel like every time, cause like in my um, history of experiences with work, um, especially in like administrative jobs that I had and working with other administrators, I knew exactly what I'm doing. And I was very confident and comfortable with what I was doing. And I, and I knew my success rate. But when I was with other administrators, I was always quiet. I was always listening. Because some people come, they have ideas, they just throw it, they, they talk and talk and talk. And I was always quiet. And very seldom I said something, but I said it when I knew it's necessary to say it. Otherwise, I thought, you know, they're saying whatever they're saying that 
I don't need to reiterate, you know, yes, that's true. But then I said something when I knew it's necessary to jump in and say something. I think it's a, a way of cultural entry. It's one means of culture entry. When we go into a new group, I, to get the lay of the land first before putting anything out there. It's like going into somebody else's church. You watch and see how it works first before you do say, et cetera, and so forth. But I think that's part of entering a culture. To me, it's a respect thing, actually, entering in. Alex? It's, yeah, I was going to say it's interesting because I feel when I'm in my professional role, that's kind of how I, I function. But it's interesting, too. I notice in some social roles, I'm a bit different. And, and I don't try to be different. I just am. It's, it's I allow that part of me to kind of come out more. One of the things that I tend to do is in, in social groups, I, I recognize this at a holiday party. It was like a, a mass holiday party. There was like 500 people there. I noticed I had like this energy to me. I was like working the room. I like was walking around different tables. Hey, how you, you know, saying hi to the people I know. Yay, what are you doing? You know, good to see you, blah, blah, blah. And the whole time I felt like charged by it. And again, not the whole introvert, extrovert, but just in this regards to, you know, not going and being like, hey, you know, like, let me see what's going on. Like I was like stirring up the interaction. And so it was like that piece it, it for me it, it it kind of relates to kind of my family dynamic in the sense of there's always a joke in my family like if you're not going to speak and if you're not going to speak loudly maybe even over somebody you're not going to be heard so at the dinner table we're not sitting there oh wait wait I'll wait till you're done it's like no 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 I did that too yeah yeah I did the same thing I did the same thing oh no 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 let me tell me let me tell you let me tell you so we'll, we'll like get very loud very vocal very animated in that way to like engage in that conversation and it's not seen as like rude or you know intrusive it's like no we're so excited and it feels so good to kind of interact in that way we'll do that but professionally you know if I go into you know a board meeting I'm like hey everybody what are you guys doing you know like oh, I haven't seen you in a while like hey you know, I'll, I'll say, Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. You know? And so kind of uh, on the, on the opposite end of that. Yeah. Alex, I was going to say, um, you know, probably because you were responsible and you were charged and you wanted to interact and engage other people when you do behave that way, because I'm the same way. If I'm responsible and I know I am there to speak to audience, I'm there. Like, for example, my teaching job, you knew that you have to engage everybody. You knew that you have to interact with everybody. Then you are charged and you involve everybody. You know, that's a different story. And I'm the same way. When I'm responsible in a program and I know I'm the speaker, I have to go talk to different group, then you behave differently. It seems like it is, it is on your shoulder to do and you do it. But when you're part of something, you walk more cautiously, you walk more, um, you know, preserved or reserved um, than, you know, just jump in. Yeah. So I think along those lines, I mean, it's just, a, I always tell people like, it's not being different necessarily. So it's different parts of ourself and we're going to allow those different kind of roles uh, to kind of come out in different contexts, different situations. And, and through those different roles that we have, there tends to be, or there, I think there should be a thread of, of connectivity. So it's, it's never that you're faking who you are. Like if you were to say, Oh, Alex, there are meetings. You're not real loud and vocal that way, or you may disagree. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's like, Oh, well, no, I haven't been hiding that part of myself. It's just that I bring myself to this group in this way. And, and sometimes what I find ends up happening in, in like healthy kind of group, well, I don't want to say healthy group dynamics, but in a, in a healthier ways, you end up bringing as much of yourself to that group as feels comfortable. And it's not that it's right or it's wrong. It's like, this is who I am in this group. Uh, it reminds me years ago <clears throat> when I, I lived in Chicago, I had a barbecue and I invited multiple friends. I probably had like 20 different friends over there, which I didn't even know I had 20 friends, but I had 20 friends over and they were all from different like social groups. And one of the things that, that really resonated with me at the end of the, the, the barbecue, a good friend of mine, she was like, you know, what's interesting. She's like, everybody is so different, but everybody is so cool. And I told her, I go, well, don't you think there'd be some consistency in who I'm friends with? Like there's going to be 
you know, some things that maybe some friends can connect with and maybe they can't. But the overall idea is like I've always said, I, I want to hang around with good people. So it's like, you know, if that's the, the one of the main threads through that, there should be uh, maybe more likelihood that, you know, fr- friends from different groups are going to get along versus them maybe not getting along or being maybe more conflictual. It's like, well, no, the common thread is good people. So yeah, maybe you're going to see some, some interactions that are what good people do. Well, isn't it that there are even opposite side of us within us, you know, mm-hmm. you sometimes see a person in um, social life and you are so surprised to see the way they're behaving than in professional life. So I think in each of us, there's different component of uh, different characteristics that shows up depending on the environment we are in. You know, like when there's a music, there's dance, you know, you obviously are charged by the music, you uh, are happy, you you dance, you know, and, and you interact with other people in a different way than sitting in an obviously serious meeting than being with a friend. But in general, your real you always shows up as Dan at the beginning mentioned, because the real you, is it wise, um, thoughtful, um, you know, or is it just jumping all over? I think it shows up. So the role in the group, back to our role in the group, uh, I think if we pay more attention, even in social uh, gatherings, there's always a person who takes over or maybe couple. There, there are always people who are always quiet, even in social gathering. There are people who are observing. There, there are some people who want to like they take picture, they want to bring the memory of this to everyone. Sometimes they send the pictures to everybody. Each of us, you know, show up differently. So how does that work in the world of psychology, Dan? Well, maybe before Dan answered that, we should take a quick break because uh, I, I know Dan has a, an answer right off the top of his head. Uh, but but sorry, Dan, I don't mean to, to cut you off because I know you wanted to answer that immediately. Uh, I think maybe we'll take a quick break. All right. Uh, so thank you, Alex, for reminding of the break. شنوندگان عزیز رادیو بامداد من امروز به همراه دو تن از همکارانم دکتر دنیل راکرز و دکتر الکساندراده در خدمتون هستیم و امروز صحبت ما در مورد نحوه رفتار ما در جمع گروهی هستش و چطور ما خودمون رو نشون میدیم و اون چیزی که در درون ما هستش همیشه در جمع گروهی نشون داده میشه و هر کدوم از ما صحبت کردیم از خودمون و ادامه صحبتمون رو به زبان انگلیسی بعد از بریک برمیگردیم و باهاتون سهیم میشیم خواهش میکنم اگه تازه رادیاتون رو باز کردیم و صدای ما رو به زبان انگلیسی میشنویم و کسانی هستن که میدونین ممکن است برنامه ما به زبان انگلیسی استفاده کنن دعوت کنین روزای شنبه و یک شنبه از ساعت 12 تا یک بعد از ظهر به برنامه ما توجه کنن
Dr. Rockers and Dr. Alexandrade, and we continue our conversation about our role in a group and how do we show up uh, in a group. And Dr. Daniel Rockers wanted to talk about what does it mean from psychological point, how do we show up, and how do we happen to just be real us when we are in the group? Well, I think first of all, what it means is if you do not recognize what role you're playing and who you are in the group, you will keep replaying that same role and keep encountering whatever difficulties you've found in the group. So that will keep happening until you discover it. And that's one of the principles in group or group therapy is that just get in the group and pretty soon your issues will show up if you stay aware and report on what you're feeling and what you're experiencing in there. So I think that's the real key to me for what's going on or who am I in the group? Now, the question I think is good to ask oneself is the question, what role would I like to play in the group? Which I think then begs that other question of what role am I playing in the group? Mm -hmm. For some people, it may not, those roles may be conflicting right? If I'm a quiet person and I don't speak up much, yet I would like to be the leader of the group, how, how can I resolve that conflict? What are some things I can do? Mm-hmm. So, don't, so what do you think? Sorry, don't we each have sort of an objective when we are in the group? Say more. I think, I think so, but what are you, what's your thinking well, on What that? I mean is, what if, for example, as a psychologist, I encourage one of my individual um, psychology group, I mean, person that has an individual session to go to a group that um, supports the idea of uh, recovering from whatever issue the person has. So, um, that person goes to the group and even though it's maybe unwanted, but because it was uh, set up by the psychologist and ask him to or her to go to the group, would that even be sort of, again, role that that person naturally plays or because she is asked to go to that group, she's going to be more of an observant. Well, I think the oh, there's overt goals and covert goals that we have when we enter a group. An overt goal would be something like, I've been sent to, what kind of group did you say? Just any kind of group, but it's so, your suggestion. Okay, so let's say I suggested a client go to a substance abuse group, that sort of thing. Like Their overt goal or outwardly stated goal would be, I want to get control of my substance abuse. So I want to learn about Uh, how to get better at not abusing substances. The covert goal, though, is the things that we, all three of us, have been talking about. Things like, do I speak up? Do I hold back? Uh, What feelings come up for me? So for some people, that covert goal is to just keep themselves safe and alive. For some people, their covert goal is to derive more energy and connect with other people because that's the role that they typically play in any group. So I think there can be a couple different roles that show up there. And what we're talking about is, can I know, or how well can I know what my own covert goals are, what I tend to do in groups? Sometimes what I tend to do in groups may be not beneficial for me in the group. So if I go to a group that requires a lot of sharing, and I'm not sharing, and I'm an more of an introvert and hold things in, then I may not get what I want, at least as soon as I want. That's my take on that. Your thoughts, Alex? I just want to add too. I think along those lines, what you're saying too, is that those covert goals, the ones that we may not be fully aware of sometimes can be healthy or unhealthy for us. So they serve us well, or they don't serve us well. And so I think it's one of those things where that's part of the group therapy uh, process is to learn, you know, what are those covert goals? Do they get us where we want to be? In the sense, if somebody went to a substance abuse group and they had a covert goal of, well, I want to make sure that everybody knows that I'm in control of my drinking, you know, that, that I can handle anything, 
you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, you always have to, you know, be showing that you could handle anything. It's like, that's probably going to put you in competition with people, which isn't maybe going to be healthy for the group and maybe not going to be so healthy for yourself in that way. And it's until maybe you learn that about yourself, that you have a tendency to do that, that you can see how it can potentially interfere with things. Uh, and again, it's not wrong or bad that you do that. That maybe comes from somewhere, maybe point it has been adaptive to be able to do that. But in that type of group or at that point in your life, that may not serve you well. Instead, it might end up hurting you a little bit more. Right. Or your covert goal could be, uh, I want to find somebody to date mm -hmm. or I want to make money or I want to sell my product or my book. Mm -hmm. Which are tends to be not good goals for group therapy, especially substance abuse groups. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just to clarify, yeah. <laughs> in case right. people are like, what's wrong exactly. with dating in a, in a group therapy? It's like, well, it's usually, especially substance abuse, usually not encouraged. Yeah. Well, it's not I encouraged. It's, it's like it's, an AA group. I think yeah. it's a prohibition. Yeah. It's, you're told not to do it. It's not Don't healthy yeah. for your yeah, growth. Well, we know some people go to church to meet other people. It's not the religious idea, but they, they feel like it's the best place to meet people, you know? Yeah. Is that, is that bad to do that? Is that wrong? I don't it's think so. Point. Because that's your goal. And you, in order to feel, fulfill your goal, you take action and, and you go to places that you want to um, meet someone where you feel like it's a, um, it's an appropriate place, or maybe the type of person you're thinking to meet is a person who rather than going to do, uh, to go to the bar and drink, that's why you go to church. You feel like this may be a better appropriate or whatever you have in mind, you know what I mean? Rather than, um, you know, other places to meet people. So it just depends how you perceive, uh, you know, you. how do you want from your partner and where would be the best place to meet that person? Which I think, it, but it could be problematic if you're just going there for that and you don't have, you know, the belief or the faith and you're just like, oh yeah, I'll just say I believe in God and I'm going to, you know, just, I'm really just trying to hook up with somebody or meet somebody, you know? And it's like, okay, well, that, that should be a part of it. I've, I've heard of people saying, oh, I, I'm, you know, I believe in this faith, this religion, and I have happened to met my wife there. And so, you know, versus it's like, oh, no, that's where the good girls are. So I'm going to go to church and, you know, try to scope out. Like, I think those are two different uh, takes yeah, on it. When you're lying to yourself. No, I agree. No, you have to have that sort of, I mean, then the strength and weakness of the faith is another story. But at sure. least you have some sort of faith that you're going to that place. And because of that, maybe if you meet someone then you have better foundation because you both have that foundation of beliefs. Because if you just go there for that, then your faith may be completely different. And that is a major part of the problem to begin with. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, again, it highlights why we need to be aware of both our overt and our covert kind of goals or or the things that uh, play into our interactions or our dynamics, not just with others, but even with faith or, you know, religion, things like that. But here's a practical question based on that idea, that church idea, which I think could be representative. But how can somebody in a practical sense know? And where's the line on that? Because what, what we're saying is that, you know, actually, it's probably a good idea to go to a faith-based thing if you're wanting to meet somebody else because it's a probably a more constructive place to meet probably than say a bar but it sounds like we those would be mixed goals and how can somebody know when it's too much one way is there some way i could gauge for myself hmm. how do i know when if it's if i'm i don't have enough of that faith how does one gauge that well, I think now if I get your answer right, doesn't matter if you, you, you have a strong faith or weak faith. You have some sort of faith that belongs to that organization. So otherwise you wouldn't even go there, right? But then in going there, I know a lot of people that I was working with, they were church goers. And they met their partners at the church. 
a big part of church was the socializing. And the church wanted to have these different groups socializing so that people could meet. And actually, they preferred the organizers or the governors of the church. They wanted people of the same faith and people that they were going to their church, they meet and they socialize. So they have different age groups with different social um, you know, events so that people could meet and, and mingle and work together. So in that situation, some people may have a stronger faith. So me, me, people may are just having a question about their faith, but still they're going. And there's nothing wrong with that because in any place or any situation, there's always two extremes and there's always a spectrum of whether it's fate or whatever, you know, um, the content is. Well, I think re- even removing that question, Dan, from the church kind of thing, I think in general, it's, it's a hard place to kind of, it is a hard line to find. And I think it is one that has to be continually kind of examined and reflected. And like, how do you, how do you check your, how do you examine your, your intentions? I think one of the hardest things for people to do is, is to be honest with ourselves. It's not because we're trying to be dishonest, but it's those things are important to us. For example, if we're talking about like meeting a partner, we can say, well, how, how much of me going to church is related to finding a partner? It's like, well, I, w- I want to believe that a part of it is the faith, but then also too, like, I know I really want to meet somebody. And so it's like, well, Am I deceiving myself in, in my faith? And, you know, am I, you know, really focusing, you know, on what I'm doing when I'm there? I realized I went right back to the church example. Sorry. Uh, you know, just, but just reflecting on, you know, what, what is my motive? What is my intent? Trying to get to that conscious part of our mind, I think, allows us to start to be open to those other pieces that kind of play in maybe more than we realize. And if we can ask ourselves those questions, which can be hard questions, then it brings us a little bit closer to, you know, what feels truer for us. And I think that's a lot of times a little plug for therapy, I guess, you know, I think that's what therapy does. Uh, So often I'll be talking with a patient and they'll be like, oh, as I'm saying this out loud, I'm realizing what that feels like or how that sounds or, you know, even just what that elicits within me to hear myself say these things out loud. Um, because I think a lot of times we'll have these conversations in our mind and, and it's totally different when we have to kind of own it in a way that we're verbalizing that, not just to ourselves, but even to somebody else to, to understand what that is. Uh, with that, I want to just um, go to another break because we are at the time of another break. We come back and respond to Alex's question. If we remember what he asked, Shervandigan has this radio bomb that. من به اتفاق دوتن از همکارانم دکتر دانیل راکرز و دکتر الکساندراده در خدمتون هستیم و صحبتامون امروز در مورد نقشی که ما در گروه های مختلف بازی میکنیم چه گروه های ترپی باشه که یه سایکالوجیست به اصلا پیشنهاد میکنه چه گروه های اجتماعی و گروههایی باشه که ما با دوستامون هستیم صحبت در اینه که اون نقشی که ما در اون گروه ها داریم همیشه اون چیزی هستش که ما هستیم و خودش رو نشون میده و امروز صحبتمون در این رابطه بود اگر که صحبتهای ما رو به زبان انگلیسی میشنوین و تازه رادیوتون رو باز کردین ما روزهای شنبه و شنبه از ساعت دوازده تا یکی بعد از ظهر با دکتر راکرس و دکتر اندراده هر هفته صحبت های روانشناسی و فرهنگی داریم و صحبت های روز برمیگردیم دنباله صحبتمون رو در مورد نقش ما در گروه های مختلف ادامه میدیم
We're back with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade. This is Saide Malik Afsali speaking. We are uh, talking about a role in a group. Alex, I, if I'm not wrong, you, your question was, how do we know what is in our mind when we attend a group? Is it because I like the foundation of this group, the context of the group? Am I in the group because I have a personal um, Im- image in my mind or I have a personal goal that I may um, receive uh, in that group, right? So I'm just thinking example of the church because it's very clear. If you are a type of person who are questioning yourself, then you want to walk into group with understanding that how much of that is your personal goal and how much of that is your faith. That could be any group. Let's just example of, for example, uh, Sacramento Valley Psychological Association that we all three are involved. You walk into the group, is your foundation of your thought, being in that group as a, a responsible psychologist to support that association. So they're successful in Sacramento Valley for their conferences, for their supporting of the community, for supporting their colleagues, or are you there, for example, to meet someone, right? So that was the question. And with that, I want to say you're there because part of that foundation is you anyways, because you're a psychologist, you're there. So whether you want or not, you can contribute because of your knowledge, because of your experience. Now, if also you have something in mind about meeting someone, I don't see there's anything wrong with that. Everywhere we walk, we have that foundation of, you know, that group that we walk into, but also we always in our mind have that perception of maybe there's another opportunity there for me. For example, you go, you get a job in in an organization. In your mind, you're thinking, I may go through the ladder and get to where I want. What is wrong with that? You have a personal goal within that bigger goal. I don't, I don't see any problem unless you are specifically thinking of your personal goal and you're overstepping the goal of the organization or the goal of whatever else is in order to reach your own personal goal. I agree. I agree. You can have, you know, lower, I don't want to say lower goals. You can have, you know, multiple goals uh, in in regards to what you want to get out of a group. And I think I'm thinking of what Dan has talked with me about before and has talked to others before too, about like SVPA is that example, you know, Dan, I remember you mentioning in addition to providing a service to this organization and to the community, it could also be an opportunity for you to get something out that. So you're getting the, uh, you're getting your name out there into the community. So, you know, you can use that in a way that also serves you. And I think it's one of those things where it's not wrong or bad if there are, you know, an array of goals that you have through that process. For example, it can be, oh, I'm going to speak more in groups. Uh, in the SCPA group is going to be one of those. I'm going to, I mean, this is something I did. I put on a CEU, a continuing education uh, co- uh, training, because um, I was like, I want to put on trainings. I want to present more. Um, and so it was, those served both the organization and myself in that way. Um, it didn't have to be one of the, or, or the other, but like you're saying, and I totally agree, it's if that my primary goal is to hook up or date people that may interfere with those other goals that can be more aligned with the group, more aligned with the organization. Those goals are acceptable to present trainings, to get your name out in the community, uh, to, to collaborate with colleagues. Those are, you know, kind of considered maybe a socially appropriate goals for that group or organization. But if I'm in there asking everybody out for a drink after the meeting and hey, let's go to this, uh, you know, club down the street afterwards, uh, somebody might end up having a talk with me because it's like, okay, Alex, you're kind of derailing the focus of this group. Well, Alex, I want to say back again to the focus of our question, the type of person 
is very important now that we are talking about. Like, for example, talking about you. No matter what you do, no <laughs> talk about, let's talk about you. Alex. Yeah, oh, wow, that was, that was, that was very specific. You. All right, here, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm ready for it. Let's go. I always have you back. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, knowing you, whatever you have in mind, whether it's personal or general, you're a good person. You know you what I mean? You do not know my <laughs> motives. You do not know. Just kidding. <laughs> I, I need to have a talk with you later, Alex. Yes, yes. Cut off my mic. I'm going to tell you my <laughs> motives. Just kidding. So, Sorry. I, I don't interrupt. My expectation from you is you're not going to go anywhere except that focusing on, you know, just the general rule of the society. So that's not going to happen. But I mean, if you are that type of a person, which we all have met, that are opportunists, that are just focusing on their own benefits and stuff, it shows up, you know, mm -hmm. people can pick very quickly, no matter what your covert goal is. But if you're able to manage the group that you're in, considering a balance of both or more multiple goals, I don't see any problem. It's just the fact that how you manage yourself in each part of this goals that you have and how you behave. And I think that's the real question. You know, is that okay? You know, is the way I'm acting okay? How, how is that? Yeah. This if brings you, up that, then we can we can observe you more and tell you if it's okay. Yeah, let me know. Let me know. I know that's a constant question for most people. Uh, how is Alex? We'll be watching you, Alex. <laughs> Just so you know. Specifically, me too. Like, let's use an example. Yeah, you. You. <laughs> you. Let's start with you. <laughs> I like that. The light is off you for a sec, Dan. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I think what the question that also is getting asked here is um, how much social awareness do I have, right? When I go into the group, I have to have a certain amount of social awareness in order to understand and read the feedback that I may be getting or may not be getting from people in the group, which would tell me, am I abusing my role in the group somehow? Or what is my role? These would be a process of discovery. Part of our goal in entering any group would should be to improve ourselves, I think, learn about ourselves, learn about how we can function better in life. And certainly life is one large group that we're interacting with. We have many different groups we intersect with throughout the day and throughout the month and the year, throughout our lives. So let's even talk about the partner you pick, the partner you associate with, and gradually that partner becomes uh, the sole um, single partner of your life? Are you always thinking of a balance between both you and she or he as you are making decisions? Is your goal more thinking of you? I mean, these are good questions to ask. I think naturally people tend to always think of, we always talk about cost benefit, right? So what is cost benefit? If it's all we know in social psychology that if costs overweight the benefit, we usually disregard that relationship, whether it's work, whether it's partnership. What is it that mentally we always calculate that? And this is something very clear in social psychology, the topic of cost benefit. Are you considering the cost benefit whenever you are in a relationship? Are you not? I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves now that we are questioning, right? And we know this is something that is known and research-based that people always get away from relationships or partnerships, whether it's work or personal life, that the costs overweigh the benefits. So, Day, are you questioning the relationship we have with... Uh... This radio bumped out here. Is that? <laughs> which, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to understand that. <laughs> no, we are doing this as a community-based support. So no, that for sure. I know the reason behind Let's it. Clarify. I'm just saying for both of you that you are single. I'm just thinking okay. of a 
Um, well, Dan. Dan's not single. Yeah, don't don't get him in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I mean, like in uh, reality, he is single, but. <laughs> I don't know. How do you put that, Dan? Well, well, let me let me let me say I'm gonna save Dan for a second too. I disagree with you, Side A, in the sense that relationships aren't just cost benefit. I think people get caught up in, in unhealthy relationships all the time. People stay in relationships longer than they should. Uh, relationships get bad, and people will go back and forth. I think we're more relationship focused than we are kind of pleasure seeking. And I know I've talked about this because if it was pleasure seeking, I think we'd go more along the cost benefit. This feels good. There's a benefit. I'm going to continue. I find sometimes people could be in unhealthy relationships and they get caught up in them. Even sometimes I've had patients where they have unhealthy relationships with their parents and their parents is are, are, are dead and gone and they're still stressed by that relationship. So I think if it was just cost and benefit, we could say that doesn't serve me well. I'm not, you know, this isn't good for me. I'm going to separate. I think some people are better at doing that than others. But I think what happens is we get emotionally consumed and tied to these relationships. So it's harder to just say what, you know, the the benefits outweigh the cost. I think that's something we ultimately, I think people end up ultimately having to reflect on. And if it starts to become where it's a greater cost in multiple uh, fields, then hopefully they're able to do what is good or healthy for them, but not always the case. Alex, I agree with you, but these are research-based issues that majority of people, you know, when the research shows that, you know, and, and it's out there, we are talking about 80-20 rule. So there's always exception. And we are not judging whether it's good or bad. We are just saying this is the reality of life, especially in workplace. For example, you choose a work, right? You choose a job that you consider the benefits um, in your life. Otherwise, you don't choose that job, right? So in every one of us, there's a backbone of that concept that what do I get from this job? I'm putting 12 hours per day. Is it worth putting 12 hours? Am I getting enough, you know, um, monetary uh, reward based on what I'm doing? I mean, these are a reality of questions you have. When it comes to personal relationships, that's another story. So maybe you're right. I think it's similar. No, I think it's similar because what happens is people get a job and they like it at first and then one transgression and then another. And then before they realize it, you know, they're in this job that they didn't like for, you know, weeks, months, years, sometimes. If what I think if what you're saying is truer, people will be like, you know what, this doesn't serve me well. Uh, my boss increased my hours. I'm quitting. People stay in jobs because they're like, well, I, I need a job financially. I can't just quit. Well, maybe it'll get better. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, they said, oh, next year raises are going to come, you know, so this promise of, you know, improvement or better. So I, I, I see where you're saying, but I think what happens a lot of times is we get tied up into it because of the emotional piece of it. You know, we identify with that role. We like our coworkers, you know, we like our commute. It's close to our house you know, they're, yeah, they're not paying me as much, but, you know, then we'll rationalize and justify it. Like, okay, well, you know, but there's not a lot of jobs out there. So, you know, I'm not going to do this. So uh, I, I think a lot of times it's, it's, that is hard enough in regards to doing it in the work front. Now let's add a romantic relationship to that. That's going to be even harder to just say, you know what, this isn't serving me well. I'm going to exit this relationship best to you. I'm going to do what benefits me. Well, but then also the benefit, it's not the benefit that generally you think. It's like, are you happy with that relationship? That's the benefit. Are you two match when it comes to hobbies? You know, that's a benefit. Are you communicating well with your partner? That's a benef- benefit. Uh, or is your situation similar? That's a benefit. So, you know, the, these things come to your mind when you're meeting someone naturally, right? So depending on what are your polar of your goals. So you constantly think of that. Uh, I'm just thinking there's so much to talk about that particular topic. <laughs> we are off the, from our role. No, 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 that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> we are off. But it is, it's, it's, it's so, it's so tough. You guys had quite an exchange there. 
We did. <laughs> yes, we did. that's true. <laughs> Dan, I know. I'm sorry. I I just said you're single. I I didn't mean to say that. I was, you were for a while, but you're not anymore. So off I have the market. Off the that. market. Yes. It, it's okay. It's not a problem. <laughs> okay. All right. So we are at the end of our program. So let's finalize our talk. I remember we started from our role in the group. We ended up with all different things as usual, which is great because we just roll by what comes along in our conversation. So with that, uh, I want to ask each of you to think of the finalizing uh, your statement based on a role in the group or other things that we discuss, however you want to go. I think a good thing is um, bring social awareness. See if you can read the social cues of others and try something new in a group, in a group situation or social situation that is a challenge for you. In other words, how can you grow from this? In what way can you grow? Can you work in a little different fashion? Mm-hmm. I would add, <clears throat> excuse me, I would add that, and I think I know this applies to individual, and I believe it also applies to like groups and dynamics as well. I think the, the role a lot of times, or what I see the role, uh, excuse me, I see what the benefits of individual therapy is becoming a fuller and better us, not always a different us, but I think along those lines, like Dan was saying, we do maybe need to try different things in order to understand what is a fuller and better us. So you do have to kind of explore and find, you know, what, what is me in that way that I'm wanting to be? And like you said, uh, maybe more outgoing, you may not become the most outgoing person or the most talkative person, but if it's a little bit more than you were, and that feels fuller and better for you, then that can be okay. So I think it's, it's always important to, to kind of try to find out who you are versus who you should be. And that, that doesn't mean that there can't be some, some pushing of those boundaries of who you are. But if we're just saying I need to be different, or if I need to be somebody else, that isn't really being fair to ourself. So focusing on a fuller and better us. And I just want to say, um, you know, it's great to always listen to experts um, because, you know, at certain age and at certain time of your life, you may think you know it all. But then I have experienced this, that sometimes uh, when you truly listen by your heart to people who have more experience, who have the knowledge, who are trying to help you. When you listen, I think you can change some of the behaviors that you don't like, and you can go by changing them if you really want to change them. But in this regard, since our topic was uh, how do we show up in the group, I just want to say, you know, we need to be ourselves. And, and the best way is to show who you are, because whatever you are, whoever you are, it's good enough to show it and be proud of it. And by being in the group, we always learn from each other. And the other thing I was going to say, for example, our intention in going to Sacramento Psychological Association wasn't, for example, for us to meet and to establish our organizations ourselves, but it happened. So just leave the door open. And Alex, specifically, if you happen to go to places, but then the opportunities are open, you know, so think great things can happen if we open up to opportunities. And just to clarify, my, my motive was to, to date people, obviously. That was just to, you know, <laughs> hook up and... <laughs> How'd it work? <laughs> no comment, no comment. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm just kidding. So thank you, Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade. I appreciate your conversation and your um, comments. And uh, we wish our listeners a wonderful week. We come back next Saturday. We continue our conversation. Have a wonderful week ahead. And goodbye to our listeners.
سرنوشت را باید از سرنوشت شاید این با کمی بهتر نوشت عاشقی را غرق در باور نوشت قصه ها را از کجا این باور آمد که گفت گر روید سر بر نگردد سر جایی این باور آمد که 
رادیو بامداد صدای ما و شما با زبانی آشنا